The first reading today is from the book of St. John, chapter 10, verse 7 to 15, and it's on page 1076 of the Bibles that are beside you. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. My name's Jim. It's real privilege to be here, especially on this really special day for you families, but also with everyone else. It's great to be here. I was reading a letter recently that a woman had written into a Christian magazine, and she wrote this. Last week, I took my children to a restaurant, and my six-year-old son asked if he could say grace. As we bowed our heads, he said, God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food that's on my plate, and I will thank you even more if my mummy buys me an ice cream. Amen. Along with the laughter from the other customers, I heard a woman remark, what's wrong with this country? Children today don't even know how to pray. Fancy asking God for ice cream. Well, I never. Hearing this, my son burst into tears and asked me, did I do it wrong, Mum? Is God mad at me? Well, I held him and assured him he'd done a terrific job and God was certainly not mad at him. An elderly gentleman approached the table. He winked at my son and said, I happen to know God thought that was a great prayer. Really, said my son. Cross my heart, said the man. And then in a theatrical whisper, indicating the woman whose comment had started the whole thing, he said to my son, too bad she never asked God for ice cream. A little ice cream is good for the soul. 
Well, naturally, after the meal, I bought my kids ice cream. And then my son did something, she writes, that I will remember the rest of my life. He picked up his bowl of ice cream, walked over, and put it in front of the woman. And he said this with a big smile, this is for you. Ice cream is good for the soul. And my soul is good already. The passage that we just had read shows that Jesus' attitude to life is completely opposite from the world's view of what's most important. So moms were bringing their kids to Jesus for him to bless them. And Jesus' disciples had kind of taken it on themselves to be his personal security. If your name's not down, you're not coming in. But Jesus rebukes his own disciples. He says, get out of the way. Let the children come to me. And then he says this. He turns it on them. He says, in fact, unless you become like one of these kids, maybe you won't get into the kingdom. Whoa. This went against everything that the ancient world stood for, where children were seen and not heard. In fact, they weren't even citizens in their own right. They were the property of their parents. And yet, says Jesus, there's something about these children that is the model for how we should approach God. One of my favorite books is called Children's Letters to God. And someone has written down uh, prayers that children wrote in primary school when during prayer time they had to write down their prayers. Let me read you a couple. Sophie wrote this. Dear God, please don't listen to my piano piece yet. It's not ready. John wrote this. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It worked with me and my brother. And he wrote this, Dear God, is it true my father won't get in heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? I love that because it gives us an insight into what Jesus had in mind in Luke 10, 21 when he said this, God has hidden the truths of the kingdom from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. I find that amazing. And so the first reason I reckon why children are our model is because they are uninhibited. For baby Aaron and baby Adam, they have their whole life ahead. Everything's possible. They have no knowledge of how to behave in polite society. They have no political affiliation, no catalogue of people who've hurt them or betrayed their trust, no bitterness and resentment. They just take life as it comes. It's as we grow older, isn't it, that we become cynical and stuck in our ways. What has been is now and evermore shall be. And we lose that childlike wonder and possibility. Second thing about children that I thought was this. They aren't as good at, as us at putting on a mask, putting on a front. That comes with practice. If a child is upset, you can usually tell. And I believe that God loves us to come to him just as we are warts and all. In other words, as we come to God, we have to be sincere. Sincere. First church ever, when they met in Acts 2, 24, 46, it says this, they met together daily, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. St. Paul writes in Romans 12, true love must be sincere. It's a great word, sincere. It comes into English from Latin. And the story goes that in ancient Rome, people would uh, sell little figurines in the marketplace, maybe of the emperor or of the uh, different 
landmarks. You get it today. If you've been to Rome, you go to the market or you go to the little shops and there's loads of these little figurines of the Colosseum or whatever. But in those days, of course, there was no mass marketing. They were all made by hand. And sometimes when they were creating these little figures out of clay, uh, uh, there would be a bit of a mistake. And perhaps a bit of the nose would fall off or there would be a bit of a gap in the, in the clay. And so they would fill in the mistake with wax. Just cover it up so that you would buy it and you wouldn't notice till you got home that there was an error. But a master craftsman who wanted to show that he didn't use any wax and that he only sold perfect figures would write above his shop, Sin Serre. Sin without Serre. Wax. His work was sincere. Without wax. Without cover-up. And that's how children come to God. And I believe that it's how he wants us to come. The final thing I thought about children was this. They receive everything as a gift. Catherine and Sarah don't send Erin and Adam out on a paper round to earn their bed and board. They just receive everything they have as a gift. And we too, you know, have to be willing to receive. We're not so good at receiving, are we? Someone gives you something and you feel in your pocket, oh, let me give you something for that. Actually receiving something as a gift, we, we don't really find that comfortable. But unless we're willing to receive, then we won't be able to receive the gift of God. And so, you see, this is the rub. You see, Jesus didn't just stretch out his arms to welcome children. He stretched out his arms to die for them and for us. He stretched out his arms to provide hope and forgiveness and new life for anyone who trusts in him. Let me ask you a question. What have the following people got in common? Madonna, Wayne Rooney, Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, and the Pope. Let me say them again. Madonna, Wayne Rooney. Oh, you've given it, he's put the thing up too early. You've got a clue there. Can anyone see? They all wear a cross around their neck. Has it ever struck you as a bit weird that people wear a means of torture around their neck as jewellery. You ever thought about that? Well, it's easy to wear a cross around your neck. But Jesus didn't wear it around his neck. He wore it on his back. Big difference. Big difference. He died on a cross to do battle with sin and death once and for all. He rose again to break the power that death has over us and bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful people. Sin isn't a very popular word today. We don't like to think of ourselves as miserable sinners. But the reality is that if I ask you to name all the things wrong with the world, poverty and murder, terrorism, the, the Grenfell Tower tragedy, you could all trace, trace them all back to human sin. But you know, if we're honest, sin isn't just out there. Sin is in here. Sin is in here. If we compare ourselves to terrorists, then we might think we come out okay. But if we compare ourselves to Jesus, then we all fall short. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is hope. The heart of the Christian faith. You've probably heard it summarized in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever would believe in him should not die, but have eternal life. That's it. There we are. 26 words. Starts with God and ends with life. God loved. 
God gave. We believe, we live. True life. Here, eternal life when this life is through. And that offer is still open today. Anyone here a fan of Monopoly? Like playing Monopoly? Yeah, some of you? Yeah, oh, you're far too holy. You're at home doing your Bible study. Not, you haven't got time for... Well, I don't play Monopoly anymore with my wife for the sake of our marriage. So it's, that's off the table. Uh, but you may not realize that Charles Darrow, who invented the game of Monopoly, did it to show the failures of capitalism. He was making a satirical point. He was trying to make the point that if you gave everyone in the world the same amount of money tomorrow, then within a few short years, you'd end back up with a few tycoons who owned all the property and all the money and everyone else in debt. It kind of failed when it became the best-selling game in the world and made him billions of dollars. But I, I was reading a book by the American pastor John Ortberg, and he said this. He said, when I was a child, I used to play Monopoly with my gran every Sunday. I would go around, and, and she would always beat me. It frustrated me. She would never let me win. He said, one summer, I thought, I'm going to do this. So almost every day, I practiced with my brother throughout the summer. When school came round again, I went back round to my grands to play Monopoly, and I won. I beat her. And he said, as I looked and surveyed my empire of houses and hotels and properties, he said, my grand smiled at me, and she said this. She said, well done, Johnny. But she said, you know, now the game's over, it all goes back in the box. He said, I don't, I don't want it to all go back in the box. Through skill and luck, he, he had acquired all this stuff. But you know, John learned that day the worst kept secret in life, that when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. How tragic if we spend our life climbing the ladder of success and get to the top and realize there's nothing there. Or as the famous 19th century preacher D.L. Moody put it, your biggest fear should not be failure, but succeeding at things that don't matter. Or as Jesus put it, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Greg and Sarah, Jonathan and Catherine, I'm sure you're going to be awesome parents. But you won't be perfect parents. That's why it's so fantastic that you're presenting your children before God this morning, asking for his help and protection. Because God is the perfect parent. His love for us never fails and never ends. Some of us didn't have ideal parents. And that brings so many regrets and emotions, especially when we come to have children ourselves. John 10.10, 10, the other reading we have, said that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's the devil. And some of us may feel like we had our childhood stolen in some way. But the verse goes on to say, but I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness, life ever more abundantly. I want to close with a story. And it's about an American businessman. And it, once he went on vacation to Mexico, he went to a little fishing village in, in Mexico for his vacation, a bit of peace and quiet. And one day he was standing on the harbor and he saw a little Mexican uh, fisherman coming in. It was about lunchtime, coming in from a, uh, a morning's fish. And, and he walked down to the harbor to have a chat with the, the fisherman. And he, and he said, uh, uh, how long have you been doing this? Oh, all, all my life, senor, he said. Uh, this is a Mexican accent, by the way. He said, all my life, senor. He said, well, why are you coming back so early? Why, why don't you stay out fishing longer? Well, he said, senor, I've caught enough fish to feed my family, so I, I come home. He said, well, why don't you stay out longer? 
He said, well, there's no need. I, I've caught enough for my family. He said, well, what do you do with the rest of your time? Oh, well, senor, he said, I, I sleep late in the morning. He said, I, I come home, I, I fish a little, I come home, I, I take siesta with my wife Maria, I play with my children in the afternoon, and in the evenings I wander into the village and drink wine with my amigos and, and play a little guitar, and then I go to bed. The American businessman stepped forward, he said, well, look, you're in luck. I am a Harvard MBA, and I can help you. From tomorrow, this is what you need to do. Stay out fishing longer each day, and with the extra fish you catch, sell them to the market and save up the money you make each day, eventually you can buy a bigger boat and catch even more fish and then sell that to the market. Eventually you can have a fleet of boats and then you can cut out the middleman and you can start your own fish factory and you can sell direct to the distributor. And then eventually you can move your enterprise to Mexico City and then you can start selling internationally and eventually to New York City where your global fish enterprise will be sold around the world. The Mexican fisherman is wide-eyed. He said, well, how long will this take, senor? He said, oh, about 15 or 20 years, depending on how, how well you do. He said, and then what? He said, well, and then, when the time's right, when the markets are just right, you can float your company on the stock market, and you can make millions of dollars. The, millions of dollars, senor, said the Mexican. And then what? He said, well, then that's the best bit. He said, then you can retire. Perhaps move to a little fishing village. He said, you know, then you can, you can sleep late in the mornings, you know, take siesta with your wife Maria and maybe wander into the village in the evenings and drink wine with your amigos, play a little guitar. The Mexican smiled and said, Senor, these, these Harvard degrees, are they hard to get? <laughs> well, that's me done. I, I just wanted to tell you that God loves you and longs to know you like a parent knows their child. But, you know, you've got the right to throw that back at me. You've got the right and intelligence. I don't want to force my faith onto you. But I do know that life is short. And sometimes the values of this world are a little bit upside down. Because when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Loving God, we come to you today from different places in our lives. No one really knows the secrets of our hearts. But you're the one who says in Revelation 2.19, I know your affliction. For to be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And so, Lord, whatever place we come to you at today, whatever our fears and failures, our hopes and dreams, we choose to recognize who you are. Lord, maybe we've known you, but it feels like we're following at a distance. Or maybe you're just a word, just something from many years ago. But we invite you, if you're there, if you are who you say you are, we invite you to reveal yourself to us again today. Not the God that we've had in our mind, but the true and living God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We invite you to come and reveal yourself to us. And we take that step of faith again to place our trust in you as our loving Father. We don't know what the future holds, but we take a step of faith hand in hand with you, because nothing is unknown to you. And we want to say that we trust you, and we love you. We thank you for all the gifts you've given us, and we give our lives to you afresh today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.